You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And now everybody here that sees me, they, it starts off, I used to hate you, but <laughs> I'm like, well, I could be John Cornish. But. <laughs> Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Cura. That's Grey Cup me, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. It's Travis Cura and Brazilian Tie, a special episode today. CFL great, recent inductee into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, Nick Lewis, is on the show. Man, uh, he was the villain for mm-hmm. uh, most of our fandom of <laughs> CFL Basically football. Basically all of it, yeah. He was, he was the worst. <laughs> It's a funny story, and I, I do reference it a little bit in the interview. Uh, during the height of the Stamps Riders hate, uh, I got I earned myself a Twitter block from Nick Lewis and John Cornish. <laughs> no, John still has me blocked, so if anybody can put a good well, word. Well, it's like you're going to get a mortgage from TD anyway. <laughs> if somebody can put in a good word for me. Uh, I'm a changed man, I, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you that's a lie. <laughs> but uh, Nick Lewis, uh, he, he unblocked me, and now he's on the pod to talk about his career. I'm looking forward to this, Ty. Yeah, and it, I mean, we probably could have went another hour. Yeah, I know. Full, we could have went full kayfabe behind the curtain wrestling stuff. That could have been a whole nother episode. I, I think we could have done like the full anthology and uh, we could have probably went game by game. I think you yeah. probably would have remembered that almost <laughs> something from almost every one of them, I'm sure. <laughs> this episode of Two and Out is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. And the foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on making ends meet in Edmonton. You can learn more at ecfoundation.org. Joining the show now is recent CFL Hall of Fame inductee, Nick Lewis. Nick, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, just a couple months after you finally got into the Hall of Fame. 100%. It was a great day. Um, Enjoyed. My family got to go to uh, Toronto for the one day we went up early. And then um, I told them it's going to be a complete difference going to Hamilton. And they saw that, (laughs) but we had a good time. There was 18 of us, so it was really good. Oh. Wow, that that's cool. I'd like to go back to the beginning a little bit. I mean, being from Texas, it appears that football may be in your DNA. Do you remember the first time that you stepped on a football field? I actually do. Um, very weird story. Like, I got into football in the fourth grade, um, and I was – when I first touched the football field, it was like it was natural. And But then I got rolled up on at the end of the last practice, and – that actually put like a walking boot on me and or soft cast. And then I was like, man, I got to play this weekend. And I begged the doctor to to cut the cast off. And and he did. And that was the first time I ever played it was with that, you know, right after that. But went out, scored four touchdowns. And <laughs> like my dad tells it, I was always super small growing up. So it was like run to the line, run around everybody and then outrun everybody. So. Uh, that was kind of my first experiences. I played uh, running back and middle linebacker. So, yeah. Who did you look up to when you first got into football? Michael Irvin was always my favorite player um, in the football game. Basketball is my favorite sport, so okay. I watched basketball uh, a lot more. Uh, but just growing up in the, the era with the, you know, the Cowboys, you know, by the time I was like eight years old, 
nine getting into football, that's when, you know, they got Mike Irvin and, and Emmitt Smith and Troy Aikman right around the end, right around 90. And so that was kind of the, the it thing, right? So you finished school and what's the story here? You thought you were going to be a fifth round pick for the Green Bay Packers. What happened there? Yeah. So when I was coming out of college, um, I never thought I'd play pro football. Um, it's one of those things that when you're a D2 walk on, even when you earn a scholarship, you're not looking at playing pro football. And and people you say after games all the time, like, hey, man, can't wait to see you on Sundays. Can't wait to see you play. And I was like, all right, whatever. And uh, the day after my last game, I got calls from agents, uh, a few agents. So being able to sit down and go through that process, it was like, maybe I can play. And, and going through there, um, well, the agent that I chose um, – was a track and football, a track and baseball agency. Um, they had like Marion Jones and Tim Montgomery back then was Marion was killing it in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wanted to get into football. They went out, got another guy uh, that represented a couple guys in football uh, to join their agency. And that's who I was meeting with. And so we, we felt good about it. We joined them uh, a couple weeks before the draft. I did a private workout with Green Bay, mm-hmm. right? I was on their chat boards of, replacing uh was it Robert Chapman I believe it was Antonio Chapman one of them uh as a punt returner uh I averaged I averaged 21.9 I think yards of punt return my senior year and uh I averaged 12.4 my rookie year in the CFL yeah so uh, most people don't remember those days but (laughs) 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 but yeah I was like the fourth I, I think I was like fourth or top three, top four in uh, average punt return yardage uh, my rookie year. But, yeah, I was I was a returner and a receiver. So I was All-American in both, first-team All-American in both at Southern Arkansas. And, um, yeah, my the guy I was talking to ends up getting fired. He was good friends with oh. Alonzo Highsmith, the old running back for the Oilers, uh, who was the scout for that region. And he was like, Alonzo's coming through here. We want to do a private workout. We did it. I didn't do great in the workout. Um, you know, there were some other factors, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, it opened up the door for me to come to Canada. So was it a workout in uh, Texas for the Stampeders that you took part in? Do you, do you remember how that came about? Yeah. Um, I mean, even that story is crazy because, um, you know, you watch the draft and it's like, okay, I'm a potential fifth round draft pick to not get picked up. And then when they fired the guy, they had no, and this I'll tell kids all the time, like pick an agent that knows people because a lot of it's relationships. So when they fired the guy, one, I lost Green Bay. But then at the same time, they didn't know anybody. They couldn't pick up the phone and call people to get mm-hmm. me into any mm-hmm. free agent camps. And I'm like, how do I go from a projected fifth round pick to not even get picked up to get an opportunity as a free agent? Um, and that's and that's all your agency, right? And to be able to do those things and uh, I get a call from my agent says, hey, um, the Arkansas Twisters want you. Uh, Arena 2 football team paying uh, $200 a week. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, man, look, I'm done with this. You know, we gave it a shot. <laughs> then that's when I talked to my mother. My mother was like, no, you're going to play for a long time. Um, you know, I'm not done watching you play yet. And so I went and did the workout. John Jenkins was the head coach there the year before. Uh, Flipper Anderson had just taken over. And – I did that workout. Well, I thought it was a workout, but I ended up practicing with the team. They just told me the plays, and it seemed like I was scoring a lot. And it was he was like, can you start this Saturday? And I was like, no, I got to work out for the Stamps. He goes, oh, well, John Jenkins, who's the head coach here last year, is the OC for the Stamps. So out of the 160, 70 people at that workout, I was wow. the only one chosen. Uh, and I think it had a lot to do with it. One, Flipper Anderson being a great NFL receiver, but – seeing something in me and probably relaying to John, like, hey, this is this kid can go. So was it, uh, I guess, Matt Dunnigan at the time that gave you the call uh, to come up to Calgary and give it a shot? Yeah. Hey, this is Matt Dunnigan, head coach and general manager of <laughs> Calgary San Pedro. How you doing? I was like, I'm good. How you doing? <laughs> He's like, you ran that 40. You ran a 4.54, 4.57. It was a little inconsistent. What, what do you think? Which one are you more? I said, man, I'm a gamer. He says, well, all right, we're going to give you a shot to come up here and, and, and try to make the team. 
I ended up being the last person signed to the roster that year. And, you know, he called me like three or four days before training camp. So, you know, I believe somebody wasn't going to show up or they didn't get somebody. So maybe they extended the olive branch and, and there it went. Took your opportunity and ran with it though. hundred percent. I mean, I did a workout for the Alouettes and they had no interest in me. Right. Uh It was none. And, so, but that, back then they had all tall receivers, right? The only one under six mm-hmm. foot was Ben Cahoon. And probably look at me and go, we already had that guy in Ben Cahoon. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to have two of them when you got Kwame Caville, Jermaine Copeland, uh, Tyron Anderson, and, and Elijah Thurman. And like, so yeah, it was a great group. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny because the 2004 was the last time the Stampeders missed the playoffs. <laughs> but yeah. you had a yeah. thousand yards. Like, Right off the bat, you're playing good football. Yeah, you know, everybody's on that two claps and Ric Flair these days. And I don't know if you remember my first touchdown in SAS. I actually did the Ric Flair off the goalpost. I ran and hit it and did the three steps after with the woo. So, um, you're talking to the right duo here. (laughs) It, It was great because, you know, sometimes I think rookies should come in with with an an expectation not to win. Um, even though it's only nine teams, it's very hard to win great cups and it's very hard to to be consistent. And I've, I, I got to see what it was like to be a part of dysfunction. Um, I got to see what it was like to be a part of the growth process of building that. And I got to be a part of the, the what the new culture is now that still goes on, right? And understanding that, you know, even with guys like Mark Wade McDaniel coming in in 2011 and, being able to, you know, work with him on a daily basis. And now he, he continued on after I left with the receiving core. Now he's the coach there. So it's, it's always great to be able to see um, those guys do that. What was it like? You mentioned the build and you were kind of throughout that process. Your second year, Henry Burris, who's now, you know, considered one of the best. What, what was that like getting the ball thrown from him? It was great. You know, Henry, even though he was 29, he was still young, man. It was Mm -hmm. like he's one of those guys that he had bounced around a little bit. You know, he came up in the 90s. He played behind Jeff and and Dave and and a lot of those guys and went to the NFL and came back. And even in Sask, he was a backup. And then uh, Nelon went down and he started. So he had been on a long road and finally to have a home. And even that training camp, I remember Jim Barker told my agent, like, we don't think Nick can make this team. Like we're bringing in Marte Jenkins from the Falcons and Cardinals and we're bringing in Kenyon Rambo and and Jermaine Copeland. And you have all these guys. And it's like, we just think Nick was a great receiver or a good receiver on a, on a bad team. Right. And so, you know, another, another situation where you just get doubted and and you just got to go out there and earn it. Right. So it was always the same mentality. It's like, no matter who comes in, you just got to go earn it and, but but Hank was great, man. I always say Hank was the was the best quarterback I ever played with, and you know my favorite is Kevin still. So when you uh, came into the league, there were some great receivers in the CFL. You already mentioned some of those names. What did you learn about the CFL when you came in? Did you instantly learn from some of these greats and what made them great, like a G. Roy and uh, Stiegel and things like that when you first started? Yeah, you know. I in Calgary my rookie year, uh Salacio Sanford was my roommate. Uh he had been the NFL Europe player of the year, played for the Bears, played in arena football, was coming to Canada for the first time. Uh just to have a knowledge of what a being a pro is like. Uh Wayne McGarity, uh Albert Connell, uh, you know, those guys really helped with the learning curve. But then the next year, getting Jermaine Copeland and Kenyon and having all those guys like Marte, like that was huge for me, right? Jermaine had uh, just a couple years before that, he had 1,800 yards in in a season with Montreal. So, you know, I knew coming in, it was like, this is Batman coming in. I'm going to be Robin and we we can do a lot of great things. And, you know, the willingness for Cope, one, he's one of the most amazing leaders I've ever been around but the willingness for him to come in and say, Hey Lou, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're about to do this. You're part of the reason I came here and, you know, let's go get this. And um, we became roommates and yeah, it's just brotherhood. 
many fan bases around the CFL and especially in Regina, kind of when you were, especially when you were playing with Calgary, <laughs> you're the villain. You, you were the ultimate heel when it came. It just seemed that you just played so well, uh, especially against the Riders, and it just killed us. Like, what did you embrace that role? Like, just basically wherever you went, or what, was that just something that just kind of happened? I embrace all roles. Like I remember uh, when I first came to CFL, my only thought process was I'd walk in the stadium. I'd walk out on the field and walk around. I'd look at all the energy, empty seats, people working, uh, people showing up. And it was just like, my only goal was by the end of the game, you, you're going to know me. Right. It was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make it happen. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, I, I make a lot of WWE references and um, I'm a big WWE fan and, and been you know, I grew up where I seen stunning Steve Austin come to my hometown. <laughs> right. One of the Von Erics used to live in my hometown growing up. So um, just being a part of that whole thing and and just understanding the dynamic of curtain to curtain. Right. Understanding that uh, the nicknames that I used to come up with, mm. the Geronimo Jones, the Lewis Ben Genius, the, all those that, that played a part in it was was an element of the relationship with the fans. Like regardless if you booed or you cheered, mm-hmm. it was it was instant gratification, right? So I always enjoyed having conversations with the fans right behind the bench. And, you know, for me it was like, say what you gotta say, let's keep it respectful and let's have a good time. But, you know, when I came to Sask, I knew I was gonna I knew you hated the first down signal. So I was gonna give it more. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, that was the thing, but that's the give and take, and that's where it's like a respect for you. Um, as a fan, because I know that we're raising each other's level, right? And But you also, what makes you pay money to come watch a game when, that you can sit at home and watch and drink your own beer and, and watch your own TV and, you know, in a comfortable place? But what makes you come out here? And I knew the entertainment value of giving that and receiving that was was something special. And when they stop making noise, whether it's booze or cheers, that's when you're in trouble. Oh yeah. When there's no reaction, you know that it's just you're not doing anything. <laughs> it's a it's a quiet mouse house when the when the riders are down. I remember one game we were up like twenty five to three at halftime and we went in and there were some young guys like, Oh, this game's over. I said, No, they always make a run at home. Mm-hmm. Like it don't matter <laughs> it, it, it don't matter who's buying yeah. center, it don't matter who's in and out, they're always gonna make a run. I think we won the game twenty eight twenty seven. Um, it was like, yeah, it, yeah. It, it happens, man. You always have to expect it in here and because once it takes one thing to spark it and the crowd gets behind it and then it's, you know, it's hard to turn over. I'm curious about the whole wrestling conversation. I'm a big wrestling yeah, this, fan. This is a here. whole new this is a whole new podcast now. Like, <laughs> I, I, I know about you know the legendary Dallas Sportatorium and the p- people going to watch wrestling there and like was that during your time or did you go to the matches much when you were young? No, not in Dallas. Um, I was right outside of Denton. Uh, Denton is where most of our nerds are from. Uh, Kevin Fowler was one of their teammates. He lived in my hometown of Jacksboro. He had a ring there. Uh, they put on some events at the Armory, uh, bringing in and, and Stone wow. Cold came in with the long blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> the that I've seen the Von Erics, a lot of them. And, you know, it was just such an engaging thing. And, you know, even growing up watching Terry Funk and, you know, yeah. all those guys, the junkyard dog, and, and just being a part of it. I mean, A&E right now with the biography is killing it, right? Like, those yeah. are just They're like, awesome. great. Uh, and, and just being able to see the evolution of it, going from WWF to WWE, uh, just saying, hey, you know what? We're entertainment, and we're going to be entertainment. Uh, not as bloody uh, besides mankind coming off the <laughs> off the cage and, and just seeing the dedication that he has for the entertainment, right, for the fans to, to be entertained, even though his family hates it um, and those things. But there's just such a huge respect for what they do um, and how they go about it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a long-time fan. I don't know if you know this, but in 2008, Roman Reigns played for Edmonton. Yep. Yeah. Joe and I, yeah. Yeah. Didn't look like Roman Reigns. No. <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting to note because a lot of the focus now is on player safety, but wrestling is kind of gone that way too. If you watch that stuff in the nineties, they are not doing half the stuff they were doing then now. 
hundred percent. And if you watch all sports, I mean, basketball, yeah. football, um, WWE, it's, it's entertainment. And that's all it is. It's pure entertainment. They don't care about toughness. You no longer have to be tough to play football. You know, when I grew up, you got to be tough. Like, oh, you, yeah. you're not tough. Like, no, you got to be tough. Now, you don't need to be tough. You just got to be skilled, right? It's all a skill game um, that creates excitement for the fans, uh, that creates entertainment. And it's a total different game. And some people hate it. I, I got to be a part of both sides of it. Um, yeah. the, the easiest thousand-yard season I ever had was in Montreal mm-hmm. um, in my 13th year because of the rule change. Right. Mm. I felt like if I was in my prime, like there's no way that if you put G Roy and, and Milt and Terry Vaughn and Jason Tucker, all these great receivers, like back then, Jermaine and Kent, dude, 2,000 yards. <laughs> I was going to say a thousand like, wouldn't be the mark like, anymore. 2,000 yards, like Alan oh. Pitts in this, because you oh. can't touch anybody. Everybody yeah. plays yeah. off coverage, um, you know. I think the game is getting dumber, but at the same time, uh, the athletes are getting more athletic. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't know the game. They just go out there and run around and have fun, but um, they don't actually know situational football, know how to win, how to do these things consistently. Um, and that's why you see such the disparity in the league. And um, it's because of that. Now, you talk about entertainment a lot. I, I remember <laughs> that Calgary receiving core having some pretty wild touchdown celebrations. Like, are you guys practicing these in practice, or how do you come up with some of those things? You know, we we, we talked about some. Uh, Hank used to do barbecues at his house, and we would talk about some celebrations, or we'd see something, and they were going to do this. I remember one day at practice, uh, we made fun of Marcus Howe, um, he did something on a punt return in practice where me, Cup, and Rambo standing there. Um, you know, he, he, we talked about the Jamaican bobsled team. So then we all jumped in and act like we were bobsled racing. And then that became the Montreal celebration. Yeah. Uh, so it, some of it was organic. Uh, some of it was in the locker room for the game. It's like everybody had their, hey, this is what I'm doing for my celly. And everybody knew. So when they scored, it was like, okay, that's that's just – but. I wanted to show mine too. So I'm trying to score. So we're all, you know, it all goes towards being able to get in the end zones. And and I think that year that we did the most celebrations, we were, you know, we're putting up 35, 36 points a game. So, I mean, you, you said you embraced all roles and you realized that being the bad guy in Regina was a lot of fun. Is that something that is uh, talked about in the locker room? Like, do you guys, you, you must be extra fired up to go into a place where they consider not only you, but your entire team, you know, the villains. We don't want to see these guys win. Is it sort of a, a known sort of brotherhood? We're united. We're all the bad guys here. Let's embrace it. You know, one of the biggest things is, you know, people talk about like the the chalk talk or if you see something, oh, they're going to be extra angry or right. anything. Uh, I don't think that really exists. I think your focus mm-hmm. levels changes, right? Because you can be in a game where you're down and you're like, okay, we really got to focus. Or, or we can be in a game like, you know what, they're going to get out to an early lead. So we really got to, or this team score. Like we used to play BC with David quarterback and our whole goal was hold the ball. Like we want to hold the ball because – we knew if they couldn't just dink and dunk the ball down the field, he's going to take some chances. We got a chance to get him off the field. So if we can hold the ball and score, we got a better chance. So there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. But when it comes to to Regina, um, you know, out of the great cups I played in, played in three great cups, my greatest feeling ever in the CFL outside of winning those great cups was uh, the 2009 uh, Western Final. Or, yeah, it's 2009 Western Final uh, when we came into Regina. And it was the first Western Final here in 20 years. And we come out for pregame. It's light outside. Everything's going on. We go in. By the time we come out, everybody's out there with green and white on. And they're waving these towels. And, honestly, I looked up and I just got the tears. I'm like, this is where you're supposed to be. Like, this is what you're supposed to play in front of. Like, this is ultimate, like, and I'm thinking, like, thank you to the fans for creating this atmosphere that made it worth what mm. it's supposed to be, right? And it was just such an amazing feeling. 
And now everybody here that sees me, they it starts off. I used to hate you, but <laughs> I'm like, well, I could be John Cornish, but <laughs> like I'm I'm surprised that Sean lets you in his garage. <laughs> Did you all the time? All yeah. the time. <laughs> I, I see pictures. I'm like, what's happening? He's a traitor. Do you know how that started? No. So I tweeted one time uh, looking for some Christmas parties to crash. I've always talked with Joffrey and Clay about this in Calgary. Like, let's just show up like we're janitors to a company's Christmas parties. And nobody, he's like, well, I'm having a Christmas party, but it's not a corporate thing. It's at my house. Here's the address if you want to come. And I said, all right. So then I show up. (laughs) And now I go over there all the time. Like, yeah, "Yeah, they're great. Well, Tammy are awesome. Yeah, I I guess it would have been during your career when Twitter became a thing. And 2006. You were the most exciting Twitter follow. You had blocked me at one point, but we made up. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, how did – or were you on it right away and you're like, this is an extra tool to make me known among fans? You know, the my biggest thing with Twitter was um, Eric Francis in Calgary in big – hockey guy mm-hmm. he would only come to the stadium if there was turmoil or something happening mm. or something big right and i remember after a game you know he came to my locker we had lost a couple games in a row or something and i'm like here's eric it's like you only see eric when it's going bad so um i seen him and i just let loose and i just started i'm glad it's not like one of them ryan leaves like nobody puts it out there maybe they'll put it out there yeah. if i'm famous but <laughs> but i just start cussing him out he walks across the room he's like nick is crazy i don't and you know i was young i was i was wild back then and and just understanding that like dude if, i don't care if you're here every day you can you can say some things or if it's coming from a place of just truth but if you're just here to create more turmoil or start things and now me yeah. and eric are good we're, mm-hmm. we're on good terms um uh, we've been on good terms for a while now, but, you know, that was just one of the things like you respect the people that stay there all the time and, you know, really wanting to do those things. But yeah, I kind of forgot where we started this, but. Uh, <laughs> Getting on, on question, Twitter and the, the fans. Oh, yeah, so yeah. The Twitter came from that. So that's oh, where okay. it was like, I got tired of saying things and then it come out totally different to paper. Mm, and I yeah. was like, well, now I got my own voice. Like, you know, I'm calling out Ian Busby on Twitter. You good article. You keep talking about this. Won't you tell them the truth and and all this other stuff? So it, it created a little friction, but but at least they knew like we can't just write anything about Nick anymore. Like love Herb in in Montreal. Herb's like, man, I wish I you were here more because you know you say what you feel, you talk facts and truth, uh, even if it's not viewed upon great by the team or the organization, like this is what we're going through. Like, this is, this is why we're not winning or this is why we're winning or this is why this team sucks. or this, you know, whatever the case is, we, we have to talk about it. I'm not going to give you a generic answer. Um, That's what the fans want. They don't want just robots. hundred percent. And, and that's where Twitter came in and became a huge role. Um, I remember Tad Cornegay, who's also one of the board members of my new company, AO sports. Uh, We talk quite often and, and, you know, he he had texted me one time and was like, hey, let's go at it on Twitter <laughs> before our game, right? So then we start going back and forth, and next thing you know, all these fans are getting in on it. And then by the time I've landed in SAS, my Wikipedia said that I now had HIV. What? <laughs> yeah, so a writer fan went on my Wikipedia page and said I had HIV and changed some stuff oh. and all this stuff, and I'm just like, I'm getting hit with all these messages and I'm like, like what well, that's way too far. Like wow. they don't and like they don't know that it was like all kind of set up behind the scenes. And right. TSN didn't know it. So the whole game, like TSN's like, who's this matchup again? They're going at it. And me and Tad were laughing. We'd be laughing on the field, or I'd walk by him and kind of shove his head and they'd be like, look, here it is. They, they must not like each other. And, but it's all – it goes all back to the entertainment value. It does. It goes back to creating something. And there's – you know, you should be willing to compete against your friends and really go out there and, and put it out there. Like I tell him all the time, he couldn't tackle me. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, wait, you make the great cup first time. Yeah, that was the first one. Yep. Uh, you guys win it. What was the, what was the thing you remember the most from that, like that week? Cause that's a big week. Like you guys show up early. Festivities How drunk and all I got that all stuff. <laughs> Yeah. That's what we're talking. One of us, one of us. I mean, getting, going to Montreal, first of all, like, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Street, hello. We're in Montreal. We didn't have curfew until we had a midnight curfew on Friday and then 11 o'clock regular curfew on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were out in the streets every day. And <laughs> you could have thought we weren't even playing in the game. Like, we see people are like, aren't you playing this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's this weekend. Like it's a regular week for us. Like, yeah. <laughs> back, back when it didn't take four days to get over it. We we're hanging out. So no, we, we, we had a lot of fun, but same time we practice hard. Uh, we had beat Montreal twice that year. Uh, so we felt very confident going against them again in the Grey Cup. Uh, the the biggest things that stand out is the the first day of practice. You know, you're used to four or five media people, six media people at practice. There's probably 70 people lined up on the sidelines over there, wow. taking pictures, doing interviews, all the events around it from the uh, from the banquets and the different stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little different atmosphere at practice. Um, understanding that you had all this media and tension and and different things that goes into the game but you know the game was the game it goes by quick uh every great great cup game i went played in it was just like man we're already halftime it's quick it's like it feels like a quick game and it's so efficient and yeah i love uh you know, we were talking about your early football days. You played running back. You played linebacker. Is that uh, – I remember your catches. I, I remember you putting up the yards, but I remember you laying down the boom with some massive blocks. And also, you jump right over, guys. So, uh, is this from playing Madden on PlayStation or, or is this from your running back, linebacker days that you wanted to hit some people? Man, I played every position but O-line. I, I was a defense. I was an all-state defensive end in high school at 170 pounds. Like oh, wow. I was, um, yeah, I'd come off the edge. I'd hit quarterbacks, <laughs> chase down running backs from the behind or to the sidelines. And I just loved the physicality of the game. Uh, in college, we, we ran the option offense. So mm. when I got there, we were throwing the ball 14 times a game. So when the safety's coming yeah. down, he looking at the running back and I'm, you know, eliminating them. Like When you can still crack back. Yeah, and we was we was taking guys out, like yeah. like guys getting carted off the field, and that was one of the biggest things in our conference. Like teams were not running downhill like that anymore, because I was literally setting them up and taking guys out. Um, and eventually, in college, they was like, "Hey, let's see if we can crack back on some linebackers now," and, yeah. and so I would start crack back on linebackers, and you know, it was always the physicality of the game. Um, I played quarterback my senior year. Uh, they were like, you're the best athlete. Do you want the ball every play or you want the ball every once in a while? Every yeah. play. Every play. Right? So understanding how all those factors play a part of, of what we're doing is is the key. And so it's it's all incorporated, right? Quarterback taught me how to see the field better, um, taught mm-hmm. me how to learn offenses and, and defenses and everything that, that I needed. Um, so everything's kind of been a stepping process that created the – the player that I played like at the end. First nine seasons, you had a thousand yards. Was it ever on your radar where I'm going to be a hall of famer? I'm going to be among the all time greats, or was that just a part of your everyday mindset? Man, I just think back to, like I said, we go back to 04, last person signed, makes team. 05, after a thousand yards, it's like, I don't think he can make this team, make the team. Uh, 07, going into 07, we think Nick's done. Um, Ted calls me in. Uh, everybody wants me to trade you. Like, okay. Like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want me to say to this? Uh, I know Higgins didn't like me. Uh, we didn't have a great relationship. Uh, he thought I was too outgoing and, and thought that mm. um, a lot of things that I was saying he didn't agree with or like. And so I knew that it was like oil and water. But at the end of the day, Ted stuck with me and and I got to stay in Calgary, but yeah, it was just that. Like my focus was making a team. You know, uh, when Pete Costanza and Huff got there in 08, because um, I always did my contracts with Ted Heller, right? I never did my contracts with a GM. 
Mm. So every year I was negotiating with the owner. And he taught me all the ins and outs of the contract, money in pocket, not about the big number. Um, there's a lot of tax breaks for Americans, um, signing mm-hmm. bonus and other things, uh, housing and stuff like that. So I was able to learn that. I've actually helped multiple CFL players with their contracts because of that knowledge. But, yeah, my whole focus was always make the team, make the team, make the team. And then it's like, go win a great cup. Like we had, we had squandered 05, 06, and 07. So finally getting there, we, we were felt confident we could get over the hump and, and we were able to do that. But yeah, man, it was never, you know, I wanted to be better than the year before. That was my only goal. Like, let's go be better than the year before and make a team. I never wanted to make it because of my name. Yeah, you had the injury in 2013. Um, did you think that that maybe was, uh, was the end of the CFL career at that point? Uh, no. No. Um, funny story. Um, I'm very faith-based and, uh, I, n- I never prayed, prayed for patience because I knew you got to go through something if you pray for it. Right. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to pray for patience, patience. Cause I know I'm not getting the ball because you got to be in that situation to be patient, to, to earn that skill. Right. Never going to pray for that. And then, you know, um, <laughs> but that was the first day I said, God, I give you, you know, even though you already have it, I'm saying I, I trust you 100 percent and allow anything. Um, you know, I'm open to everything. And and that was the day I broke my leg on my first catch. And it was like it really relieved a lot of things for me. I actually started having fun after that mm. uh, because before that, it was like the mentality of go be great, go be great, go be great. Mm-hmm. we got to do this. we got to win games. In my mind, I'm on the sidelines. OK, if we if we score here. We hold them here. We can. So I'm always calculating wins. I'm always calculating how we can win, how we can, what we need to do. But then after that, um, August 17th, 2013, when I broke my leg, 22nd, I got surgery. They told me I wouldn't, I wouldn't jog in for four months. Um, I told Dave and, and Huff that I'd be back for the Western final. I actually had a dream I was going to play against Sass in the Western final. I got cleared the week of the Western final. Wow. And, um, they said it was impossible, and, and, it, and it happened. Um, I didn't play. Huff told me I'd play next week in the Grey Cup. And then we turned the ball over six times and lost the Western Final. Yeah. So, um, oh, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and then y'all smashed Hamilton. But anyway, no, but that's a, I, I, I believed that I could come back. For me, it was like the first adversity I'd ever really faced like that. Um, and every day was a minor victories. I was in spin class at four weeks. I was running in the treadmill at six weeks on the, on the, uh, in the hot tub. Mm -hmm. So everything for me was every little thing that I could do moving two toes today or moving three toes today, or being able to do things was, was all a part of the, of a game. It was like, that was my new competition. You mentioned that Huff told you that you'd play in the gray cup. You guys made it that year. Don't make it. You end up going back again. In 2014, you guys win that one. Did it make it that much sweeter after having the injury and having to go through all that? No, um, I was just a totally different player. Um, mm. I put so much work into getting back for that season. And then it's like, so for four months, those three months, less than three months, I was working daily to get back to playing the game. Uh, and then when it didn't happen, uh, one, I felt really dejected because the way we lost – um, I don't know if you remember this, but we'd be Sask in the next to last game of the season for first place that year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we had shut them down, the running game down. Um, we had a great game. The last game of the season, Micah Johnson got hurt with a torn ACL. Devontae Bolden, our other starting tackle, defensive tackle, got hurt with a torn MCL. Uh, Marquay McDaniel got hurt with an ankle sprain. And And I was like, man, this is setting up for me to come back and just do this, right? And we had so many injuries. We started Justin Phillips at defensive tackle. I don't know if you remember Justin Phillips, but he's about 230-pound defensive end, Canadian defensive end, uh, because we didn't have any D tackles. Uh, Franco Keane, that was here in SAS a couple years ago, he was actually on that team, was supposed to start, and, and said he had a back injury the week of the – during the bye week, he was fine. Then coming off the bye week, he says he has a back injury, so we didn't have time to bring anybody in or anything. Um, so. 
we went from giving up 50 yards rushing total to 220 something yards rushing at, in that Western final. Cause we, like we couldn't stop sheets up the middle. I mean, obviously Micah mm-hmm. Johnson and, and Demonte Bolden are, are, are great players yeah. and being able to mix with Charleston and the rest of the guys. But, you know, all those things are just things you think about at the end of the day, it's like missed opportunities and, but it is, it's part of it. But during that off season, I took two months off. I couldn't work out two days in a row. Um, the oh. the scar tissue and everything, is, it got so bad in my ankle. I really couldn't work out two days in a row. Uh, there were days I couldn't even make it through walkthrough. And I was able to go out and play the next day. Uh, I could barely walk. I'm, I'm just laying there like, I don't know how I'm going to play tomorrow. All right, I missed five games. I had my first game without a catch. But I think I only played three plays that game, uh, three or four plays, because – John Corners got hurt on the first drop. So then the ratio mm-hmm. had to change, right? So we had to put American running back in. We had to take American receiver out. I wasn't healthy, right? So understanding that I came off the field uh, in that, and that was in Edmonton. So the only game I went through without a catch, and I really didn't play in it. But um, just in, a, I guess, the long story, it's just kind of like you go through these these peaks and valleys and understanding the pain I went through. I thought 2014 was the last game out. The Great Cup was the last game I was going to play in. Uh, Huff introduced me first. Um, and if you go back, it's kind of like those Easter eggs. It's like coming out of the tunnel in BC, I do the Ric Flair again. Mm. Right? So when I come out of the tunnel, the first one, I, I do the Ric Flair, and then I jog out of the tunnel. Uh, because if, to me, that was a full circle moment. Understanding, you know, how my career had been the pain I was going through on a daily basis, a weekly basis, just to try to play uh, was incredible. Um, so, you know, I was like, you know, I'm done. Um, I I talked to Huff about being a coach. I uh, talked, Corey Chamberlain actually called me about coaching in Sask. Um, and then I got a call from Jim Pop in March. Actually, at one of my friend's birthday parties in Houston, Fred Stamps was there and he had just went to Montreal. And he was like, man, come to Montreal. I said, man, man Montreal don't want me. Two weeks later, <laughs> two weeks later, Jim Pop calls me. Like like you said, it's about who you know. <laughs> yeah. So then that's why I went to Montreal. I was like, you know what? I, I want to go out better than this. And, mm. you know, every year I was getting healthier and healthier after. So um, that's why I was able to do what I did in year 13 because – I finally started to feel healthy again. Kind of touched on it there, but like 2015, you you signed in Montreal. What was your mindset going into that season? Was it just to keep improving on after the injury or just kind of, you know, try to prolong your career as long as you could? No, I I don't think it was about me. Plus I think it was productive. about the opportunity. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the roster, it's like Steph Logan, um, Brandon Whitaker, Tyrell Sutton, SJ Green, Fred Stamps. John Bowman, Chip Cox, Billy Parker. Like, you look at the roster, you're like, man. Like, yeah, these are guys mm-hmm. I've battled against for a long time, guys I, I respect beyond belief and and just have the opportunity to go and, and suit up. And they told me AC was going to be the receiver coach, and I was like, man, I'm ecstatic about that. I'm going to get to learn from AC, right? So just all those different factors come into it. And, and then when I get there, it's – it was like, honestly, it wasn't about me. It was about how I could help them. And uh, one day, I remember we were sitting there in meetings in training camp, watching film, um, watching one-on-ones, and this receiver, it, it might, was it Jerry Rice? It might have been Jerry Rice. I can't remember what year, but it was one of the receivers came in and – he did something on route, and I was like, "Hey, if you do this, you'll you'll win there, right?" S.J. Green tapped me on the shoulder. He go, "Hey, bro, what about me?" And I was like, "No, you, S.J. Green, like <laughs> you, you, you're a multi-time All Star. Like I'm not about to sit here and critique yeah. what you're doing." He go, "No, nah, bro, I want it." And, and instantly, I knew it was kind of like me and Cope. It was like me when Cope came into Calgary. Mm. Like, there's no matter what level of success you have, respect for people, and you know people can take you higher. So I was able to then build that relationship and and really start to work with him on a daily basis. And when he went to Toronto, right, it was like we had those conversations. SJ, it's like you've you've been the great player. 
Now your focus is still be as good as you can be, but everybody else over there, like you're going to make them better. You're making those receivers better by your presence being there and really accepting that role and making people better and winning a great cup, right? So understand that he was like, bro, like I'm glad I talked to you because my mindset's on, I got to show them that I can still play. And I'm like, man, it's not about you anymore. Manny Arsenal coming to SAS. Manny, don't be the guy anymore. Your, your focus is on these three young guys that are incredibly talented in Shaq, um, George William Lambert, and uh, Tyron, uh, Kyron Moore. I'm like, that's your job now. Like, and as older players in the league, you should always embrace that, right? You can still go shine and do your thing, but the power that you give other people to allow them to go be great is amazing. I mean, in Calgary, I did it because Kamar Jordan was on practice roster since 2012. Eric Rogers on practice roster the whole year in 2014 until the end of the season when we locked up first place and he got to play and score four touchdowns in two weeks. They're like, there's no way we'll bench him after this. So, you know, (laughs) understanding that this is the, it's, and you should do it. Right. And you, you should never feel bad about it because you're extending the game at a certain level. Talking the way you are, does mean you want to get into coaching? Uh, you, you were with the Lions in 2019. Is it something you want to get back into and continue to teach younger players? Oh, man, I love it. That's my dream job. I never thought I was going to play sports uh, professionally. So coaching is always the dream job. Uh, I've been training kids in Texas and now in SAS uh, since uh, 20, 2008 uh, when I moved to Texas in the off seasons and uh, well, I bought my own home there in 2008 after the great cup. So that's one of the things I got. A, I got a kid at uh, Alabama right now, Jason McClellan, um, towards ACL last year. Uh, but you'll see he'll be back better than ever this year. Uh, Money Parks is going to fill in at Utah. Um, you got to send some kids freshman. to the Gators. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they're going to have a great one and he should go out and play well. You know, these guys I've been training since they were in middle school. Um, I just had a kid graduate from Northwestern. I've had kids graduate from Texas, Purdue, Kansas State, all over, man. So just continue to pour in. Uh, the SAS Selects program here in, in Regina, Zelco, uh, runs, and we take kids to Vegas and Texas to play in these football tournaments, 11-on-11 tackle football, and uh, to be able to just be a part of it and to just share my knowledge with the coaches and with the players is is where I love to do. And I train kids every weekend here in SAS. Uh, I just drove to Calgary this weekend to for kids play, uh, getting more South Asian kids into the sports. And, and then um, Alberta selects, um, helping mm. coach there. So I'm all over, man. And I, that's what I love to do. I love to invest my time in the kids. And uh, like I always say, records are standards. Um, I'd rather somebody I work with break mine uh, or set the new standard. Mm. Uh, so that's ultimately it, right? Just being a part of that. So when you're in Regina, was there ever a time that you thought maybe, or it came close to where you could have played for the Riders? No, um, I don't think there was ever a time. Actually, the closest Roy Shivers asked me to come play in Regina in 2005. Okay. Ray at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a tough I mean, I took one of my friends to a workout for the Riders, and Roy Shivers and Danny Barrett was there. He goes, oh, you that hot rookie, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that hot rookie. Said, okay. Said, <laughs> hey, you did the, the Ric Flair thing after your first touchdown. You did it at the 2014 Grey Cup. I think this is a full circle moment. So Matt Dunnigan calls you to come to Calgary. Did he call you about the Hall of Fame, too? He did. He did. Do you remember that call? (laughs) I do. I do. You know, and and just before that, like, my last game was in SAS, right, in the new stadium. Right? So um, that was pretty cool to to be able to play in a new stadium and and just have that experience and um, enjoy that. But, yeah, Matt called me. You know, uh, when he called, he asked about my mom. My mom had just passed away a couple months before. And – so he's like, how's mom's doing? I said, mom's passed away. So we we got through that and we got through the first round there. And then he started reminiscing on just, you know, when he first called me and me mm. coming up and, uh, you know, eight weeks into the, uh, the, it's a Labor Day rematch. We're, we're halfway into the season. He's like, hey, Rook, you, 
you know, you hitting the wall yet? I was like, man, I'm just getting started, you know? So understanding all those different things and just going back down that whole path and trajectory. And then that's when he told me that I was going in the hall of fame and it was just such a surreal moment. Wow. Yeah. That's what, what does the hall of fame uh, represent to you? I, I think we talked to Ricky Ray earlier this month and it, it almost is uh, represents that whole football journey. Uh, everyone that supported you from the beginning up until the very end, you had 18 people uh, in Hamilton for the ceremony. So that it was a bit more, deal. but it got canceled last year. So, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, and we yeah. didn't know when it was going to be, but you know what? One, getting in and say thank you to so many people in that way is awesome. Um, being able to, to have something that represents you and, and your family and, and where you come from um, in a Hall of Fame is, is amazing. I mean, it's something that people, I don't think you can strive for, but it's something that you can really just try to be consistent as possible and give yourself a chance. And, and being able to get there, like you honestly, like I did an event in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton last year. Uh, just being in that room and just seeing all those great players and then being in Hamilton and seeing all those great players. And it's just like, you know, it's so, it's so different. Like, man, like this is, this is different, you know, putting on the jacket, it, it just, yeah. it hits different, right? It's, it's so hard to explain because it's such a group that of just excellence, Right. Uh, being consistent in, in their efforts and your attitude and being able to accomplish things. And, you know, I, I've always said I don't want to be known as a football player. I want to be known as something more. But that's a that's a great honor. I just uh, want to wrap up here. Uh, ask about AO Sports. Uh, you, you brought it up earlier. You got the nice background on the, on the Zoom call. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, AO Sports, man, It's um, it's all about ownership. Um, YouTube is not a great place to monetize your content. There's not a great place for uh, sports content creators like yourself or, and athletes to be able to create their content and monetize it, uh, to be able to have access to collaborate with, with athletes. Uh, we currently have over 80 athletes signed right now from two of the top 10 racquetball players to NFL Hall of Famers like Mike Singletary and uh, bringing on Eric Dickerson and, and bringing on, we have Ryan Malone, former NHL player. We have uh, we, actually have a, we actually have a young lady that's uh, at NXT right now uh, working to get into the WWE and, wow. you know, cheerleaders and dance. And we have people, uh, we have a Latvian uh, breath expert. Uh, we have a, a meditation, one of the top meditationists in the world. And um, we have a yoga instructor from Germany. So we, we are worldwide. Uh, we have a doctor that has a 97% addiction recovery success rate. Uh, Dr. Rob Kelly, um, yeah, got his degree at Oxford University in the UK and now lives in San Antonio, Texas. And, you know, so we bring in on so many of these great athletes and subject matter experts to one platform uh, to be able to highlight each other. Uh, as you know, social media makes it harder to be seen. Uh, we wanted to make it easier to be seen where well, you can monetize more and you can make more money. So um, that's what it's all about while keeping ownership of your content. Uh, we'll have our, we'll have, we'll create our own shows, our own documentaries, our own reality shows. We'll have our own NFL, CFL shows. We'll have different things like that as well. Um, and while the athletes are creating their shows and their content around it, uh, we just want to help facilitate relationships. So if you need help with branding and marketing or uh, different types of things or broadening your audience, uh, we help with those areas and, and just make it to where everybody can be successful. All right. Nick Lewis, the most catches in CFL history, 1,051 of them, over 13,000 yards, 71 touchdowns. He's given back to the game. He's given back to the world. Hey, thank you for being so generous with your time. We thought, hey, 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> I love it. I love the stories you yeah. came to tell. Congratulations on going hey, to the Hall out. of Fame. And we, thank we just you. signed a new sport called Fireball, Fireball oh. XE. You have to look it up. Look it up on YouTube. Fireball X, letter X and letter C. Fireball Extreme Challenge. It's an exciting new sport. Uh, they're actually about to get into like the amateur Olympics. Uh, oh, we just got invited to Rome uh, in November for that uh, for the meeting. Uh, so they'll be in there next year for the amateur Olympics every two years. So yeah, 
it's it's coming, man. We're about to we're about to make a lot of people excited about being a fan, uh, about being a member, and, and just enjoying the journey. Like honestly, one quick thing, like for you think of like Netflix, right? You can go and watch content, but there's no engagement, no interaction. Right. We'll have engagement interaction. We'll also our fans and members will be able to win dream trips, sports dream trips. Uh, they'll be able to go to Super Bowl, Grey Cup, World Cup, uh, all these different places that we go. Uh, they can win free trips and all inclusive paid trips to these places uh, to be a part of VIP events with athletes and, and different people. Um, and also, uh, we're creating a ranking system where you can rank up to get into AO Sports Hall of Fame where you can ha- actually own a piece of the company. Wow. We are changing lives mm-hmm. everywhere. Let's go. <laughs> hey, hey, that's that's a great. Well, AO Sports, uh, you're on Twitter, Facebook, everything, and the website yeah, too. AO Sports TV, it's AO Sports TV uh, yeah. on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and everything. We're, we're, we're pretty silent on a lot of things. We've released kind of we have Dr. Jen Welter on board, the first woman to coach in the NFL, uh, Devon Claybrooks, Tad Cornegay. Um, Garrett Jones, we have a, a, a great advisory board. I have a great executive team uh, from the tech standpoint. Uh, we're bringing on more and more great people. So, uh, like I said, we're we are well positioned right now to do some great things, and we just want people to come along for the ride and and be be valued. Right? You you respect the janitor because you have a clean locker room. You respect the people that come to the stands because they use their hard earned money. Everybody's valued in success in the organization. Mm-hmm. So I've just built a company just like the greatest organization in the world, right? Everyone's respected, everyone's valued, and we all win together. Wow. So I guess uh, we'll see you in pill country sometime. Let's do it. <laughs> I'll be at the game. I'll be at the game tomorrow. Um, actually, Ryan Phillips and John Bowman are coming over tonight. So. Oh, nice. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, thanks for taking so much time to talk to us, and congrats again. Indeed. Y'all have a great one. Blessings. Thanks again uh, to Nick Lewis for coming on the Two and Out CFL podcast. This episode brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you switch providers, I did this myself a couple of years back, nothing changes about the delivery of these utilities to your home or business. It doesn't go dark. You don't get cold. Yeah. <laughs> Everything stays on. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find out the terms before leaving. If you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. You, as the consumer, have the choice of who to pay your bills to. Why not choose your friendly local utilities provider? Learn more at parkpower.ca. Thanks again to Nick Lewis for coming on the show. Hey, I'm actually blown away by how much wrestling kind of overlaps with football mm-hmm. and kind of real life. <laughs> well, I, you know, when we were kids, or I know when I was a kid, I when I was like 10 or 11, my mom broke my heart and said, you do know they're all friends, right? Well, that broke my heart. Uh, sorry, kids, more than uh, Jolly and St. Nick. You know, like, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? No, like the Rock and Stone Cold hate each other. They're, they, no, the mom's like, no, no. Like they travel together. They hang out. They go. They have big barbecues together and all this. I'm like, no, they don't. She's <laughs> like, yeah, they do. Turns out she was right the one time. She's gonna listen to this and hate me. Um, yeah, I was having a drink of coffee. <laughs> yeah, spit take. But he brings that uh, feud, quote unquote, up that they had. That it was him and uh, Todd Cornegay, right? And that was that was a little inside baseball. That's awesome. I don't want to ruin it. Like we'll, we'll leave it at that. And yeah, I was like, oh, okay, this is making way more sense now. <laughs> Right, but, I, I really want to say it's still real to me, damn it. But I just couldn't <laughs> find the right spot to do it. What a fun chat. Uh, 
Thanks again to him for coming on. And the AO Sports really sounds like some really, really cool innovation. Uh, that that is awesome. Athletes owned, right? What what is it? AO. <laughs> um, well, and you look at what the PGA does. They if you yeah if you take a video of a PGA event, they block it on Twitter because mm-hmm. they own everything, and then they wonder why players are leaving. Because you're making all the money off these guys, and they're not getting anything from it. Yeah. So you know this kind of endeavor that uh, he's got going, and he mentioned all like worldwide stuff and, and what they've got going. It's it's about to blow up, I think. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Two and Out on your favorite podcatcher. We'll talk to you on Thursday to get you ready for Week Nine of the CFL season. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.